welcome to 13, the bi-weekly podcast where we typically ask 13 questions of one Colgate University community member. I'm your host, Daniel DeVries, and today I am joined by two Colgate professors to provide some insight into the ongoing conflict in Ethiopia. Now, this is a special episode and will not strictly follow the 13-question format, so I just want to say that up front for anyone keeping track, and I also want to share a content warning. This episode is tough, um, and it includes discussion related to sexual assault and atrocities of war. So with that said, I'd like to start out by welcoming uh, to the podcast Associate Professor of Biology, Enga Hagos. Uh, he has graciously offered to share his very personal experiences um, in the region in which he grew up. Uh, the Tigray region of Ethiopia, and where a number of his family still reside to this day. Um, Professor Hagos earned his, his bachelor's degree at the University of Illinois, his master's at Northeastern Illinois University, his PhD at the University of Georgia, and he conducted his postdoctoral studies at Emory University. Uh, Professor Hagos is a renowned uh, researcher in the realm of cancer, um, specifically cancer research at the cellular level, and his most recent research collaboration with 10 Colgate student co-authors uh, was published in the European Journal of Cell Biology in 2019. I'll also want to welcome back to the podcast Associate Professor of Peace and Conflict Studies and the Director of the Women's Studies Program at Colgate, Susan Thompson. Uh, Professor Thompson will be providing some of the historical background and current geopolitical context to the ongoing situation in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. Professor Thompson earned a Bachelor of Arts from St. Mary's University in Canada, a law degree from University College London, and her master's and PhD from Dalhousie University in Canada. Her work focuses on state-society relations in Africa, and in particular, power relations between the state and individuals in post-conflict countries. Her most recent book, Rwanda, From Genocide to Precarious Peace, was published by Yale University Press in 2018. So I'm going to start out the podcast um, by reading um, kind of a background uh, about the current um, conflict in Ethiopia. And um, this was written by Professor Hagos. And at times, uh, we're going to use his voice to um, help uh, illustrate um, some of the things going on that he's discussing. I'll get that started now. So how did this current war in Ethiopia begin? And what is the background? So according to Professor Hagos, um, tensions between Ethiopia's federal government in Addis Ababa and the Tigray People's Liberation Front, or the TPLF, um, who are kind of the regional administrators of Tigray, have been building since the prime minister was elected in 2018. Um, at that time, the TPLF dominated Ethiopia's ruling coalition for nearly three decades. Based on the Ethiopian constitution, elections must be held every five years. However, in September of 2020, the Tigray region held an election and more than 2.8 million people voted and elected the TPLF party. This election creates more tension between the regional government of Tigray and the Abiy Ahmed uh, administration uh, in the capital. In mid-October, um, this is based on uh, reports from Ethiopian officials, 
Um, the Ethiopian government asked Sudan not to allow people fleeing from Tigray. Uh, in addition, some sources mentioned that the government told the Orthodox Church to convince that people that the government will start to go to war to get rid of the junta, referring to the TPLF. Some top regional government uh, officials also admitted they were ready to go to war way before November 4th. Between October 31st and November 3rd, Eritrean troops were mobilized toward the ethno-Eritrean border. This is in the northern part of Ethiopia. Eritrea and Ethiopia recently made peace under Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, uh, who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2019 for his efforts. But Eritrea remains an enemy of the Tigray leaders due to a border war that dates back to 1998. Uh, on November 4th, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed launched what is called a law enforcement operation against the leaders of the Tigray People's Liberation Front, um, you know, the region's ruling party. TPLF leaders called the federal government's response a war against the people of Tigray, and the conflict erupted weeks after Tigray held those regional elections. In Professor Hagos's own words, I believe this conflict is more than an more, more of an ideological differences. As many administrative regions would like to have self-determination, including Tigray region, so that they can develop their own language, culture, equitable economic distributions. On the other hand, the new government policy ideology is against the right of the state, having the right to self-determination, when the unitary system. Nobody really hates to be united, but however, one Ethiopia means is, uh, it is not a unity, rather it brings all this indigenous people to one culture, identity, and language. This is what brings a big picture of the war about. The people of Tigray gave their life for, the, for this change, and as a part of their struggle, they bring all these nation nationalities for their self-rules and exercising their language. So based on the constitution, the Tigray people and government choose to hold election, and they did. Simultaneously, the federal government postponed the election, but waged a war instead. This government called the war is law enforcement operations. If this is a law enforcement operation, why is it foreign governments such as Eritrea and troops from Somalia were invited by the Ethiopian government? invent and attack people of Tigray. On the last three months, to be exact, 88 days uh, since the invading army uh, waged war against the people of Tigray, about 60,000 Tigrayans have fled to neighboring Sudan. Over 1,000 women uh, of, of those refugees were pregnant, and more than 80 have had birth um, in the forest or you know, um, outside of healthcare facilities. Um, and there are reports of death due to childbirth complications. Uh, about 2.2 million have been internally displaced, and thousands have been massacred through a combination of airstrikes, artillery fire, attacks by armed militias, and door-to-door -door assassinations. Reports from the ground and by international news agencies and humanitarian organizations indicate that the attacks are being perpetrated by regional militias from the south, the Eritrean troops from the north, and the Ethiopian defense forces elsewhere in the region. 
To add to this, UN, the UN reported that many Eritrean refugees who are caught in the middle of the war are being subjected to forced repatriation and some immediate execution by the repressive Eritrean government. In addition to waging an active war since November 4th, 2020, the Ethiopian government has negatively affected the livelihoods of 8 million Tigrayan civilians through the blockage of electricity, internet, um, banking, telecommunications, humanitarian aid, and even access to clean water. The inability to access the basic supplies necessary and the isolation of Tigray from the rest of the world is having a devastating effect on the region and ultimately leading to the starvation of Tigrayans, including thousands of refugees. Humanitarian assistance uh, is basically shut out at the moment. Um, Professor Hago says this is deliberately to starve the people of Tigray. People who need life-saving medication are dying from preventable diseases. Pregnant women are dying with their children because doctors could not deliver the babies by C-section, um, and there's no painkiller medications, um, and often there is death due to bleeding after birth. Can you imagine that you have money in the bank and you are not able to feed your family? Right now in Tigray, you could be a millionaire and still die of starvation because banks have been closed for almost three months. People are starved because they have burned all their fields. They looted their food. Every object they had, their household. They killed their livestock, such as cows, goats, and sheep. That bears milk for their children. They killed many young boys who helped the elders. They froze their hard currencies, saving in the bank by confiscating their account. This is a war to use food starvation and obstructions of aid to kill people that is going on for almost three months. The systemic denial of basic necessity, such as food, water, shelter, and violations of human rights. People are dying because of starvation. Humanitarian aids are not reaching to Tigray. And more recently, an article in The Economist states that Ethiopia's government appears to be widening hunger as a weapon as the Tigray region is, quote, being starved into submission. In addition, the federal government's desire to ensure that the people of Tigray will be damaged economically to such an extent that they will not be able to recover from their state of poverty. They've bombed critical infrastructure like a hydroelectric dam, a sugar factory, textile factories, academic research buildings um, such as universities, and many hospitals have been looted uh, or destroyed. The unprecedented looting of private and public properties, including for food, cattle, and crops, um, has made the situ situation even more grave. UNESCO World Heritage Sites and remote monasteries where ancient manuscripts from the fourth century and early Christian spiritual texts were kept have been looted. Destroyed and the Al-Najasi Mosque, which is the first in Africa, was first bombed and later looted by the invading forces. Tigrayan sources also indicate that people died trying to protect the churches and the mosque. Eyewitness accounts are emerging with respect to the various reports of the Axiom City. Uh, in November of 2020, a massacre of around 750 innocent people. Um, there is no clarity about the killing due to the communications block at, blackout in the region. This is not just reinforcement in law, reinforcing a law and order in the region, rather deliberately attempts by the Ethiopian and Eritrean government to wipe out the Tigray culture and history. 
Furthermore, the multi-pronged attack on the physical, social, economic, and psychological safety and well-being of Tigrayans. There are also reports of ethnic profiling and the persecution of Tigrayans in other parts of the country. For example, the UN reported federal police being given the order to identify all Tigrayans working in government agencies and NGOs. Additionally, the African Union security head was fired because of his Tigrayan origin and more than 200 Tigrayan peacekeepers were disarmed in Somalia merely because they belonged to the ethnic Tigray. Since the start of the war against Tigray, more than 60,000 Tigrayan members of the Ethiopian Defense Force, Police Force, federal government employees, and civilians are said to be detained in inaccessible rural concentration camps. There are also reports that the homes of Tigrayans, many of whom are not politically affiliated in the capital, are being searched by federal police without warrants, and that people of Tigray origin, irrespective of their citizenship, are not allowed to fly out of international airports. Banks in Tigray have been closed and accounts have been frozen, and any account that opened in the Tigray region is not functional anywhere in the country. This is ethnic cleansing. This is not law enforcement. Sexual violence is also widespread. Um, a United Nations um, special uh, report on the situation um, includes a high number of alleged rapes um, throughout the region. The report states that there are also disturbing reports of individuals allegedly forced to rape members of their own family under threats of imminent violence. Can you imagine that you, you have, they force you to have sex with your mother? They force you to have sex with your sister? Some women have also reportedly been forced by military elements to have sex in exchange for basic commodities. While medical centers have indicated an increase in the demand for emergency contraception and testing for sexually transmitted infections. What is happening in Tigray is appalling. This is the most recent acting of ethnic violence against Tigrayan people and the victim, uh, uh, and as a victim of myself, losing loved ones due to unjust war. Two of my cousins and many childhood friends were killed on the street and on their home. This is all unarmed civilians. I am hopeless I, as I am not sure if my parents are taking their medication uh, or having the basic necessity. My dad is 92 and depend on insulin injection. And my mom is also taking blood pressure medication. And my brother is mentally ill. I'm not sure this is I'm not sure that uh, they are getting their medication, and I'm not sure if I'm going to see them again. This is not the first time happening to my ethnic group. The same act are takes place in the 1970s and 80s. That's why the reason I feel my country in 1990, due to ethnic cleansing against Tigray people, forced me to flee to Kenya. I live in Kenya refugee camp for almost 18 months until a relative living in Washington, D.C., agree to sponsor me to come to the U.S. Why is this happening over and over again? It's very painful. This needs to stop. The international community needs to act. In 1980, drought, conflict, and government denial contributes to the famine in Tigray killing over one million people. History is repeating itself under the current government of Ethiopia, who orchestrated Tigrayan genocide. We cannot this not happen in 2021. The U.S. must help us to take action in timely and decisive manner 
for pressuring the government of Ethiopia to stop the war against Tigray, allow humanitarian assistance immediately, allow Tigray to be connected with the rest of the world, reopen bank, telecommunication, the internet, electricity, evacuate all invaders force from Tigray, sexual violence and mass shooting must stop, allow journalists and international observers media to investigate what is happening inside Tigray. Thank you, Professor Hagos. That was very um, powerful. And um, I would just thank you for sharing that with us. I think um, uh, best thing uh, to do here is I wanna just kind of dissect some of the um, some of the elements of the things you're talking about and hopefully bring a little um, deeper understanding about what's going on there for people who might not be uh, familiar with the area um, and in particular, this conflict. Um, I was wondering if uh, you and Professor Thompson could could just talk a little bit about the Tigray region in Ethiopia, um, its borders um, geographically and politically, um, and uh, you know maybe just a little history of that area. So uh, Tigray is located in the north part of Ethiopia, and it is has a border with Eritrea in the north, and then Sudan in the west. Uh, uh, basically, uh, that the two countries are neighboring of the, uh, uh, Tigray. Um, and um, historically, probably, Suzanne probably gonna talk more about the Italian, but historically, there are a lot of inventors. They come, you know, uh, history, uh, like, you know, Egyptians or Italians. So all of sorts of wars are happening in that region. Uh, and then, um, uh, the region is, I don't know, geographically, it's a very mountain area. So usually it's against, you know, the inventors because Italian, when it came to the, to the, to the Ethiopia, the heavily war were happening in that. Uh, and uh, I think it was defeated. Uh, they couldn't decolonize uh, Ethiopia because of the geographical location of Tigray. Uh, in terms of population, uh, I think there are about 8 million uh, population. Uh, the language is mainly Tigrinya, uh, Tigray, and then there are a couple of other languages in Tigray. Uh, there is an Orthodox uh, uh, religion, Christianity is heavily in Tigray. As, as you can imagine, uh, Tigray is actually exercising religion starting four centuries, there are a lot of monasteries, a lot of, uh, uh, also, there are a, a big amount of uh, Muslims also. And then in the seventh century, actually, when Muslims are persecuted from the Middle East, they came to Ethiopia, and then they got the refugees there. So that mosque, they bombed, and they really destroyed and looted by the Eritrea army is ancient mosque, uh, which is the first mosque in Africa. Hmm. Susan, do you want to add to some of the history there? Yeah, let me just add a few things. For those who don't know, um, Ethiopia is considered a developmental state. Um, by developmental, it draws from state theory on East Asian countries that economic development always um, supersedes um, basic freedoms, civil liberties, human rights. Um, so you see this um, in so-called new or post-colonial states. Ethiopia is one of Africa's biggest states. Uh, it's um, bordered to the south um, by Kenya, 
um, to the north and to the west, as um, Ingedo's already noted by Sudan and Eritrea. So there have been consistent conflicts on that northern border between Eritrea and um, Ethiopia, the Tigray region, because Eritrea is um, has access to the Red Sea. So it's the only access. Ethiopia is completely landlocked. Mm. It also bears mentioning, I think, some of the atrocities that we've um, heard from from Engada are um, very common, sad to say, in Ethiopian history. The Somali, I'm sorry, the Italian occupation starting in the 1930s. Um, oh, and then, you know, a monarchy uh, then run by a dictator. And now we have um, Abiy, who, you know, quickly won the Nobel Prize for his commitment to economic freedoms. And of course, when you suppress economic freedoms, human rights are at risk, and we don't know how people will get their medicines and other things that um, Angada has mentioned to us. Also, uh, lastly, I think it might be important for individuals to know Tigray is a minority ethnic group within Ethiopia. So only about 6% of Ethiopians come from Tigray, identify as Tigray. But the largest ethnic group is actually Oromo, um, at running about 35, 36%, depending on the source, and then Amhara. So you see Oromo Amhara troops um, active in the region as well. So the people of Tigray have been um, bullied for a very long time. Can you both talk a little bit about the the two groups here? I'm you know I'm thinking about you know the Ethiopian government and then the TPLF, the the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Um, what does the TPLF want, and how is that in conflict with what the government wants? And and how is the civilian population just caught in the middle of that? All right. So, I let, let's let's maybe talk a little bit about what is TPLF. Where do they come from? So, uh, there was a region called Dirk, uh, like Suzanne mentioned, that was a killer. He was really doing the same things. That was the reason I filled my country in the 1990s, you know, they do the same sort of ethnic cleansing for this particular region. Dargo was really bad for everybody. It was really introduced this called red terror and then killing a lot of, but particularly for Tigray people, it was really, really effective. So um, about seven or eight, uh, you know, university students, including the ex prime minister uh, and others uh, was, uh, went to, just, uh, they want to be rebels. They want to be guerrilla fighters. And then uh, they fought for about 17 years. So uh, during this fighting, a lot of Tigrayans died. They were killed. And then finally, they won the war. And then uh, finally, they become a government, but they didn't just do it by themselves, but they make a coalition with others, with, you know, the Oromo people with Amhara, and then with this called South Southern nationalities. So there was four different parties were established on that, and then they ruled the country for about 27 years, right? So then during that time, of course, there was a lot of, you know, uh, there was no freedom for sure. There was no media as much, you know, also there was a lot of corruption, you know, but the country relatively was peaceful. <laughs> The country was not really a lot of ethnicity was not a problem. The nation nationality, so they established the kind of they they did geographically by giving based on language, you know. So they put the Tigrayan people 
Amhara people, Oromo people, and so on and so on. They put them and they created these nine nation, nation, nation nationalities, right? So they have this federalism. So the state has its own uh, kind of authorities. They can have militants. They can have presidents. They did that for a long, long period of time. So when that happens, then there was, I believe, three, four years or five years ago, there was uprising about from the Oromo, mainly from the Oromo people, you know, too much corruption. They were, their, their land was taking and there was no justice. So the uprising was come and the TPLF was, okay, they, they have everything on their hand. They have the security, they have the military, they have everything. You know, they are, of course, the military is combination of all ethnic group, but the dominant probably from Tigray perhaps, right? So they can say no, and then they can actually kill more people, but they choose to just give up. And then so Abi, this prime minister was not elected. They, he is appointed, right? He's appointed because the, the, this called APRDF. APRDF, so TPLF is part of this APRDF, Ethiopia People Revolution Front. I believe it's a combination of four different parties, right? So TPLF is part of that. So when this happens, and then they see it, and then diplomatically they solve, and then of course people are angry, they are angry on us, so let's just elect, and then they elect Abi, I mean they appointed Abi, and then Abi, however, used this to take advantage of his power, he tried to falsify, creates new, like fake news on the media. If you go to Ethiopian media, there is no international media, there is no local media, they are located on in Addis Ababa, and all they are doing is serving this prime minister. So what they did was they, did, they came, they created this documentary. The documentaries are based on the Tigrayans are evil. Basically, that's what it is. It's just unbelievable. If you, read, if you hear the documentaries, you are like, oh my God, did the Tigrayans did this? They are terrible. That's what you respond, because the way they put it together. So all people, which they don't hear anything outside, thinking the TPLF is evil, and then the Tigray of people are actually supporting the TPLF, so they need to be gone, right? So during this process, when Abiy was putting all this thing together, and then destroy everything what they were doing for 27 years in terms of development, that was extremely, Ethiopia was, you know, economically top 10 country in Africa. It was 10 plus economic growth for the past 10, 15 years. There was a very economically stable country, right? There was uh, always famine in Ethiopia. There was a history it never seen in the past 30 years. So that some was, something was working, economically peaceful was working, but also there was a problem of, you know, human rights violation and then corruption, you know? So the Tigrayans realized this, the TPLF realized this, and they were like, okay, let's just leave this. And then he asked them to add that, he asked them, he, he, he created this called Prosperity Party. He, when he created this Prosperity Party, he asked them to join with him, right? So the three other parties of that EPRDF joined the party. And then they were saying TPLF is bad. Actually, they were working with the TPLF for the past 30 years, but they were saying TPLF is terrible, whatever. So they joined that party. And then TPLF is saying, what you are preaching is wrong. We don't need a unified like nation. They need a unified nation, but you don't like take everything and put it as one Ethiopia. 
People have to exercise their own language. People have to exercise their own culture. And then the TPLF are leaving the capital city and then they want to Tigray. And then they start administrating Tigray. So they did that for two years before the election comes. Election supposed to be held in May 2020. And then the Abiy administrator says, no, COVID is here, we are not going to that. But that's not the, COVID is not the, the case because if COVID was the case, you know what I mean? You would not wage a war. Actually, COVID is extremely high right now in Ethiopia. So what happened is when they go there, they did the held election. The TPLF with other four different parties in Tigray, TPLF was elected. 2.8 million people elected them to be the representative of Tigray region. Then this is the tension. Then when Abiy is trying to rule, they told him, we don't recognize you anymore because he's supposed to hold an election, but he didn't. So he cannot really give us anything. But they did not really creating any war or anything. So the source of this is that Abiy does not want this movement, then he just wages a war. So very civil war in, in that, you know, the government fighting its own people here. Um, how does that play with the neighbors? So how is Sudan and Eritrea and Somalia, how do they come into this? Uh, so the Eritrea, there is a history. The Eritrea also, there was rebels. They fought actually with them, with the TPLF. The Eritrea has long, they, they fought actually for 30 years for Eritrean independence. So Ethiopia was original, like, you know, uh, it was in, in part of Ethiopia, but the, the EPLF, which is the Eritrea People Liberation Front, which is now the government of Eritrea fought for 30 years and they got independent in 1993. So Eritrea was out of Ethiopia. Then the Eritrea government, which never held election for 30 years, a lot of Eritreans are really out of the country. There is no young people actually present in the country. He's the most repressive. He really arrests and kills like a lot of ministers or anything, you know, they opposed him. So what happened was there was an economical and political situation between the TPLF and the Eritrea, and the Eritrea invent the Tigray region. So he came, invents, he took, he took some places, and the, the Tigray start war with the Eritrea in 1998. But the Eritreans are the ones they start the war, right? Then after that, what happened was the conflict, so the Tigray, Tigray including Ethiopia, the Ethiopian people fought, and then they actually won the war. And then the, Ethiop the Eritrea is really, really unhappy about this, and he has a revenge. So this is all about revenge. It has nothing to do with anything. Mm. It has a revenge. So when Abiy came, and then when the border tension, that was the reason he got Nobel Prize, when the, the, the border tension is reduced, then they have to be, two of them are really become buddies, friends, right? And then they have a common enemy, which is the TPLF. So both are saying, let's just destroy this TPLF and then let's just do rule whatever we want to do in Ethiopia. I think, I believe Suzanne can add more to it. Yeah, I mean, I can only add a few things. Um, first, to go back to the original question about what is the fight between the two groups, it is certainly over government illegitimacy and you know government policy and so on. Um, and this matters because foreign donors tend to be like, well, if they're doing economic growth, we can really support that. 
it overlooks how people actually receive that aid because of course the average person does not have access to aid. So this is really an, an elite affair um, taking um, great revenge on different regions in the country for their loyalty or disloyalty as the case may be. And this is, I think can be a real wake up call for Americans. If you think like Trumpism is extreme and fake news is extreme and the way the media, media is controlled is something that doesn't happen in the United States. Well, it clearly does. And the um, control of the media, the shutting down of the media, the management of social media, in particular the internet, um, should be a cautionary tale for Americans as, you know, let's not, um, you know, Trump's no longer with us, but we must continue to fight against Trump. And I think that's what Engada says is so interesting and important because we have a government that has never served its people. It's a government that maintains a war footing, whether it's a monarch, Haile Selassie, whether it's, you know, um, Ahmed or any of the others um, since the 1930s when the Italian occupation ended at the end, uh, just at the beginning of World War II. The conflict in Eritrea has been ongoing because Ethiopia literally just wants access to the port. There's no concern for civilian life. These are conflicts that are highly managed with a war footing. Ethiopia is one of the most militarized societies and by militarization, it's a very simple understanding. It's a country that is ready to go to war. Um, you know, they invest a lot of their budget in war. The US is also um, equally militarized. And I think where, you know, to circle back and bring these two threads together, uh, um, Abi actually wanted to propose um, a prosperity party an economic prosperity party that tracks almost onto Trump's idea of a patriot party. So are you for prosperity or are you against prosperity? So it creates classes of citizens that are layered onto ethnic meanings and to religious meanings and to linguistic meanings, because if you're not a good citizen, if you're against prosperity, then you are automatically tagged as an enemy. And then they use this disloyalty to explain away access to medical care, access to education, access to any, you know, um, right to pray, right to speak your language, right to practice your culture, right to travel, right to multiple media sources, and so on. Can you talk a little bit about the the media and communication uh, uh, shutdown in the country now? And uh, I understand you can't, you can't, you haven't spoken with your family in some time, right? Um, no email, no phones, no nothing. So there was no email. There was there is there is no internet access. So my family are spread throughout Ukraine. So I have my sibling, like brothers, sisters in the capital city, and then I have my parents, which is an hour away from that, and then I have many many cousins, uncles, and and throughout. So. Um, I haven't heard anything for two months. So I don't know whether, I didn't know whether my family were alive or dead. Mm -hmm. Every night I cried. Every night I couldn't sleep, you know. So then finally, there was a pressure from the international community, especially from European, you know, they suspend a lot of aid to Abiy Ahmed, which is the right thing to do. I hope the US will follow that. Is then he connected the uh, the capital city, which is the capital city of Tigray, which is Makale. Then when he connected, because for two months, we don't really know who is alive, who is dead. 
They deliberately, once the war started, they deliberately turned off the electricity. Can you imagine how do you gonna cook food even? How do you even gonna do anything? There is nothing to do, right? But also they blocked out all the cell phones and then internet services. So this is deliberately because if those are off, then people cannot take pictures. They cannot communicate outside Ethiopia. But on the meantime, for two months, in the other side of the Ethiopia, the government is making propaganda. How the Tigrayans are bad, how the TPLF is bad, how they are going to capture them already. There is no, the prime minister, for God's sake, get out on parliament and say, we didn't kill a single person. That's what he said. In a war, in a war, he denied, he, didn't. he said that the one filled to, to Sudan, there was no women and children. That's what he said. Based on this prosperous party, his party is based on lie and fake news. All that's what they do. So the other side of the, the, the Ethiopians are, they don't. So to, to get to your question, I didn't know then finally he opened uh, the phone service in Makali. Then when we opened, we, we tried and we tried. Finally, I connect with my brother. And then I asked him, how, what about my parent? He said, I don't know. Because my parent, were, which is called Wukro, they bombed it for five days without stop. There is no stop. So my, finally, I connected after like 75 days, I connected with my mom last week. And she told me, there was a lot of, in their backyard, there was like, you know, a lot of bombs, a lot of stuff coming. You know, these are like old people. And all the people living in Ukro, they are out. They are out of the forest. So my parents, you know, 92 and 80, they don't have any help. They don't have anything. They were there for just alone for like five, six days. Mm. You know, who going to give them medication? Because my sister-in-law is the one she used to inject my dad. So... It was a lot of suffering, mm. you know, a lot of crying. So the, then he connects. So then in the West, now there is no electricity. There is nothing. There is no phone service. I don't know what my uncles are. I don't know what my nieces are or, or other relatives on the river. I know that, you know, since news is difficult getting out of there, I, you know, I've, I've been reading through some links and, and some of the things that you shared with me, Indiga, um, and. Uh, I was reading that there was um, uh, a massacre in my cadre. Can, can you guys yes. tell me about that? Yes. Yeah. Ethiopia has a relative difficulty, as many countries do, with the truth. It does not engage citizens at the level of family memories, um, community memories, regional memories. There is an imposition. Um, so that's, I think, what um, Dan makes your offer to speak with us today so powerful because we can reach such a wider audience than if we had a brown bag or something yes. something else. Um, and I think, you know, tragically, what Engada is going to tell us is part of a long line of tragedies um, that have been just left. Families are left with the lingering um, guilt and shame and silence and fear and grief. And, and in addition, like the loss of social practice, weddings are disrupted, births are disrupted, um, funeral rites are disrupted, never mind the, you know, the everyday hardships that Enga does describing, who gives the medicine to your elderly father? Like that is a practical concern heightened by COVID. So this, this is 
a government that is acting as it's always acted. Uh, and um, the power in the Ethiopian state is merciless um, for many of its citizens. So it's not a government designed for dialogue. It's not a government designed for um, even tolerance, let alone coexistence or some form of reconciliation. So um, the Maikadra, again, this is based on my readings, uh, based on what I heard. The bottom line is, if the Ethiopian government is real, he should allow journalists to get in and investigate. That's, that's the most important thing. You know, I can say something, somebody can say something. You know, so this is based on what um, uh, the refugee they feel to Sudan get testimony because no access, no journalists can get in into my, my, my cadre. The journalists are, they got the information from the refugees. So based on these newspapers and new media and actually UN reports, and then my own assessment from talking to Tigray people, what happened was during that war, when Abiy Ahmed did that, three things happened on that area. One. This is Western region, border to Sudan. It's Western, it's also border to the Amhara. So that is, Amhara is a big ethnic group. The Oromo is the biggest one. Amhara is the second one. And then there, is, there are others in Tigray. So the Amhara is closer. There is a border between Tigray and the Amhara region. So what happened was, as soon as this war started, the Eritrea government, because that is border, there is a place called Humara, the border, he was bombing with just a lot of artilleries, a lot of bombs, just bombing all that area. Then what happened simultaneously was there was Amhara militants. They came in from the Amhara region. So these are called, so Abi is in a way very manipulated. What he's doing to Ethiopian people was he created chaos, right? By creating chaos, he thinks he's gonna rule and forever, that's what he was thinking. So what he did was, there is a, a dispute land between the Amhara and Tigray. There is a dispute land between Amhara and Romo. Throughout Ethiopia, there is some kind of dispute. So what he told them was, as soon as I start this war, you can get your land back. That's what he told them. So what they did was they came with knife, with guns, and they came to my cadre and then just killed people. Mm. I was not there. But based on the newspapers interviewed from, it is consistently true, the massacres are happening against the Tigray people. Because the, the Ethiopian government was falsifying this on the news saying Amhara was massacred by TPLA. That's what he said. So the international committees are saying, okay, let's get in and investigate what's happening. And he said no. So if he said no, that means this is happening on his watch by these Amhara militants to just get rid of. And they give them instruction, anybody between the age of 10 to 25, just kill it. Mm -hmm. Any boys, particularly boys. That's what they were saying. So people on that area was just fleeing and they left the crops, you know, on the street for many, many, many days, you know? so. This mask, my cadre, is really attention of international community, and we will know the truth when the international media investigations are in and when journals are allowed to get into that region. Mm. 
I'm, I'm really curious too how uh, Abiy Ahmed, uh, the Ethiopian prime minister, how did he win a Nobel Peace Prize? Uh, <laughs> now he's accused of war crimes. I mean, you can ask the same question. How did Obama win a Nobel Peace Prize? These are, he didn't deserve it. Um, the US has been a particularly bad citizen in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in part, you know, American warmongering, to my mind, um, gives way to the type of conflict that we're describing in the Tigray region of Ethiopia because the international community doesn't show any actual action uh, to match its words. So we have a new progressive, quote unquote, um, represented at the UN, the United States has moved to rejoin the international community. It has a lot of work to do um, far beyond what Trump undid because we were never a great citizen to begin with. And I think really the tragedy of um, Tigray and of Ethiopia more broadly is a, is a tragedy of international diplomacy. They continue to give money. Uh, the language of a developmental state and ethnic unity is well received. The Nobel Peace Prize actually gives a prize based on promise, not on actual practice or actual behavior. Trump was in the running there, I'm told. I find it hard to believe, but who knows? Um, and agitating for these types of prizes are actually you know, legitimacy granting to deeply illegitimate governments. Are you outward facing and looking at international actors as someone like Abby is? Yes. Are you worried about um, people at home? No, because there's no international or local journalism access to the internet. People work on secrets. They work the phones in the way that Engada has described. It creates a culture of fear and like family surveillance. So imagine, you know, you're married into an inter-religious or an inter-ethnic family. That can be very anxiety inducing. And, you know, so if anyone who says to me, oh, but Abby won the Nobel Peace Prize, you're not really reading from Ethiopians. And I think that would be the number one thing. Anyone interested in a place other than their own, you must read and learn from local people. You can't rely on the international interpretation. Tell me about the international response in general. What is the UN doing or not doing? What has the US said about this? I'm, I'm curious as to what you know, other nations are, 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 how they're playing into this. Is donuts an answer? Um, really nothing. There's been a couple diplomatic sort of cables. Um, the US has military interests in the region because their um, network towers, their communication towers for the Middle East are based in the Tigray and Eritrean region. Um, and they've only really moved to protect infrastructure. They So there's been the, the normal condemnation of government action, but no actual sanction. And I, I don't know, and I might know, I don't know how many millions of dollars the US military gives to the Ethiopian government, but I would guess it's in the hundred of millions range. It's a lot of money. What about the refugee uh, cost here? So I'm, I, how many people have fled? Where have they gone? What is their situation like? Yeah, so, you know, the refugee, from that West region, a lot of them fell to Sudan. You know, they went to Sudan. <laughs> Ironically, the Ethiopian government is trying to bring them back, you know, uh, because they are, you know, fearing their life and, you know, avoiding genocide and, uh, you know, uh, ethnic cleansing. Uh, so mainly about 60,000, I think, I believe, are 
in Sudan area, and now the government is actually blocking it. You cannot actually go, you cannot exit uh, their uh, deliberatory. But also there are 2.2 million people displayed inside Tigray. You know, there are many, many people, because what they are doing in this war is, you know, they bomb, no, the, the TPLF are in the, in the mountains. They are not in the city, you know. So they, nobody, the TPLF actually did not fought a single city in Ethiopia, in, in Tigray, nothing. But what they are doing deliberately is they just bomb it for about five, six days. So can you imagine the whole entire Hamilton right now is going to go to forest. So when it happens to my hometown, my, where my parents are, all the people there, I can imagine about maybe, I don't know, 100,000 plus, 200,000, they went to the forest. Sure. Only the elders left there, right? So only the elders. So, and then at some point, you don't have, the, Abi is not, the, 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 the government of Ethiopia is not paying people, you know, for, for, for the past three months, nothing is paid. There is no concept of, you know, storing foods, you know, you know, it's really hard even for us, you know, we don't really store food for a long period of time. Maybe when COVID comes, you know, people are panicking, but you don't really do that. There are no many. So the, a lot of people are displaying, they are trying to move around. Now there is a series of starvation happening. There is reports up actually giving about, you know, in some area, about six, seven families are really dying of starvation. You know, without food, they cannot get food. So I think we should be accounted for not only the people that are leaving the country to Sudan, to neighboring Sudan, but there are many, many people are actually inside the Tigray region. They cannot go anywhere. They don't have anywhere. They are homeless. They are starving. 4.5, UN reported about 4.5 billion, like more than half of the population of Tigray are looking for food. Mm. They are starved, basically. It's a great what? reminder, too, because, of course, many of us outside of Ethiopia know of the country because of Band-Aid, Feed the World. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was missing from that was the um, was the very clear notion that there's enough food in Ethiopia. The government controls who gets it. Yes. Famine is human-made, and in this case, it's man-made. Yes. We, we forget this often. What what could anyone do to to help? Like, what is... Are there aid organizations at work on the ground there now that could be supported? Are there, you know, representatives that could be lobbied to, you know, to do something? Like, I'm just curious, like, if someone is listening to this and was moved to try and do something, what could they do? And there's a few things I can do. I can speak first before Angeda speaks of the local. Number one, contact um, your congressional member. There is a Congressional Committee on Human Rights for um, Africa. Within it is um, one on this conflict. Um, also, um, you can look for websites through Instagram. There's a lot of Aromo, for example, activism in solidarity with Tigrayan people, which is surprising, but there are um, individuals located in the United States who have ties and go back and forth in the way that Ngeda will probably describe to us. Also, um, support the work of organizations like Amnesty International. They do have representatives on the ground right now. Human Rights Watch also partners with Amnesty International uh, and the um, organization Oxfam and Save the Children are also trying to do work. So you have seen 
humanitarian aid workers being evacuated, like in, which is code for being pushed out of the region because they don't want foreign eyes. But there are infrastructures in the country that will be activated as soon as it's safe to go back in. I think to add to that, the most important I find right now is to just contact, you know, Congress, uh, uh, you know, people, uh, Senate and House, uh, perhaps reach out. We have, we are doing a lot of, you know, tweeting to, uh, you know, President Biden, Vice President Harris, uh, and others, you know, in that, in that really uh, uh, regard. So tweeting could be helpful, you know, awareness could be helpful, writing a letter or even a message to Congress, even phone call could be very helpful. And then to add to that, I think helping other, you know, agencies, you know, either uh, by money or other sources are very essential. What is the, I guess, what is the end game here? Like, how does this, um, or, uh, is there a possible way for some kind of peaceful resolution to this conflict or um, it, does it have to end by some other means? Like, how does this come to a, a close? Um, or I guess, what would be the best way for it to come to a close? This is difficult. I don't know. I mean, I think um, it is really sad how international communities are not acting. It is really, really, really sad. You know, there is word of mouth coming out, but there is no action. The UN has been saying we have to get in into humanitarian assistance for the past two months almost. And the government is saying no. So what is next? As a nation, people are suffering. This is not to be like Rwanda. We don't want to be like Czechoslovakia. We don't want to be like, I mean, why is the international community, community always act late after everything is done? So I don't really know. I mean, you know, the European, uh, you know, uh, are taking some sort of action at least. They told him we're going to get in some humanitarian assistance. And he said no, right? He said no. Ethiopian does not need food. The Tigray that is planned, he's lying. He's making up a lot of stuff. Like Susan said, you know, Ethiopia, there is a lot of crops. There is a lot of food, actually. This is the same happened in 19, you know, during the dark region. Food was there. But deliberately, you start your own people. Abi did this to Tigray people before the war started. Two years, he blocked the road. This is a systemic kind of starvation. There was no resource coming from outside, actually. It was very, very limited because they blocked the road coming to Tigray. So I think, I, I don't know. I think the U.S. is powerful. You know, the U.S., since the U.S. is really, uh, President Biden said, the immediate, you know, uh, leaving of the Eritrean military from Tigray, but word is not enough. I think action is necessary. I think the Eritrean military should leave immediately. I think other militant in Tigray should leave immediately. I think humanitarian assistance should get in. So between the UN, the US and the European, I think that is what I'm thinking. Uh, otherwise, we don't have hope at all. But what is the end? And then, a lot of people will die, but the TPLF is going to keep fighting. And then I don't know what the end result is. I think um, for me, I agree with Engada. The end game is that the war will fizzle. We'll have some uneasy truths. Um, I've been reading um, 
the, a book that listeners might be keen on. It's called The Shadow King. It's written by Maza Mengistu, and she writes about the Italian occupation. So it's a, it's a book of historical fiction. And one of the things she says that I think is so compelling and applies here is that we need to work with Ethiopians and uh, the, those from the particular regions to set up reconciliation mechanisms like we saw in South Africa, for example. Mm -hmm. There is a historical national memory and there's a historical local and community memory that's just not being honored. And until there's um, a deeper understanding of that from outsiders, Ethiopia, they'll continue to use war as a way to, to control populations that actually aren't restive. It, these are military struggles. These are not, it's not a civil war in, in that way. The, the, the civilians are caught in the crossfire, so to speak. I think I want to close out uh, the podcast with, um, you know, it's so easy, or not easy, but when you hear about conflicts around the world and you hear about, you know, untold numbers of people killed or, you know, just horrible atrocities, you, you know, you rarely hear like personal stories, human cost. And I thought it would be nice to, to end the episode maybe um, with Professor Hagos, if you could just talk about your family, like who are they? Um, you know, it'd be nice for people that, you know, put a face, um, you know, to um, the people on the ground there. Like, uh, I, I'm curious about your parents and, you know, what they did and what they've done um, as far as, and what it was like growing up there and um, uh, how you got interested in biology. I, you know, I, all that's very fascinating to me. And I feel like those kinds of stories get lost um, in a larger um, context. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's, it's very, uh, I grew up in a big family. Uh, my parents are uh, very, my dad is a very uh, academy-driven. He is not actually, was our first generation. They are not, they, I don't even know if my mom, uh, you know, finished high school. Uh, but uh, so, but they have this amazing sort of, my, uh, my mom has a big heart. She's very caring, loving. And then my dad is like, you know, task, you know, you have to do this, you have to do this. And school is in his big thing. So we are 10 of us, we are a big family. And then everybody in my family has some sort of degree uh, because of, I think that contributes from engineering to uh, kind of physicians and accountant management and um, biologists and so on, you know. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in a small town, uh, like 45 kilometers away from the capital city uh, of Tigray. Um, and then I went to, uh, we can talk more about this later, but uh, after certain like 10th grade, I was, uh, the government of Ethiopia was trying to capture me and then send me to military so that I feel, uh, I went, uh, my dad sent me to my brother who was in the South area and then um, and after that, you know, I, I, I went to school with my brother for a couple years, but they were a lot of killing and arresting of Tigrayans. Then uh, can you imagine I was 17 and I left Ethiopia and flew to Kenya. And uh, it was, uh, I was in the refugee camp for about, uh, you know, uh, a year and a half, basically, before I came here. So... When I was in high school, I was not actually a science major. I'm an accountant major in Ethiopia. They, you know, early on they divided it whether you are a social 
going to study social studies or natural studies. So I was a nature, natural study focusing in accounting and bookkeeping. And mm-hmm. then when I came here, I didn't have any paper. I couldn't join any, yeah, like university, but I attend community colleges. So, um, and then after that, you know, with a friend and others, they told me like, why don't you try biology? So I have no idea what biology is. I have no idea what chemistry is. And then when I took, actually chemistry was much easier for me. I never, I always get a high score, but biology was always challenging. So I really want to major this and I major. And I was so fortunate to really kind of know what, because my PhD is in embryology and then my research is in cancer biology, which is really interesting types of both are affecting ourselves in different ways. And then uh, I become professor and I'm so fortunate for that. Yeah, I mean, in 2019, you published, you had published research with like 10 other students uh, about your cellular cancer research. It's really amazing. Well, thank you very much for sharing with us. Um, And thank you, uh, Professor Thompson. you know, tell your friends and family about the podcast. Um, if you have questions um, listening to this episode um, about what's going on in the Tigray region of Ethiopia, um, I'd say please reach out. Um, email 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. Uh, I'm happy to pass along those questions. Um, and maybe we can come back and I can, um, you know, help uh, answer some of those um, on, on another episode. So I'm happy to recommend academic readings. I'm trained as a political scientist. I work on the post-colonial state. Uh, so any anyone who's keen, um, you have the scholar and the actual individual. So we're, we're happy to help. I think I can say that for Angada. Well, thank you. <laughs> Quick update and editorial note here. This podcast was recorded on January 29th. Um, in the time since uh, we have recorded, there's been a few articles um, on Ethiopia and the civil war there. And I just want to read a paragraph from a February 5th story by Kara Anna of the Associated Press, uh, in which she writes, Life for civilians in Ethiopia's embattled Tigray region has become extremely alarming as hunger grows and fighting remains an obstacle to reaching millions of people with aid, the United Nations said in a new report. And the UN Special Advisor on Genocide Prevention warned Friday that without urgent measures, the risk of atrocity crimes, quote, remains high and likely to get worse. Last week, the U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was also the latest to pressure the Ethiopian Prime Minister, urging the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize winner in a phone call to allow, quote, immediate, full, and unhindered aid access to Tigray before more people die. Thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, Until next time, keep asking questions. 13 is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications. Audio engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Catrail Pritz. Executive producer, Laura Jack. And I'm your host and producer, Dan DeVries. Visit colgatemagazine.com and colgateresearchmagazine.com for more in-depth faculty research stories.